0: Ancestor by number one New York Times bestselling novelist Scott Sigler is available for free on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello there, and welcome to the Lightspeed Magazine Story Podcast. I'm your host, Jack Kincaid. The magazine is edited by John Joseph Adams. The issue this month is once again sponsored by our friends at Orbit Books. To learn more about them, visit orbitbooks.net. And don't forget that you can learn more about all of our subscription options at lightspeedmagazine.com slash subscribe. As for the podcast, the stories are produced by Skyboat Media, the most respected independent audio production team on the West Coast. They are headed by the Audi and Grammy award-winning narrator Stefan Rudnicki and Gabrielle DeCure. Post-production for Lightspeed is in association with Jim Freund. You can check out Skyboat Media's website at skyboatmedia.com. And now that we've got that out of the way, on to the story. Our first offering for the August issue is The Night of Chains, The Deuce of Stars by Yoon Ha Lee. The story's read for you by Susan Hanfield. Yoon Ha Lee's work has appeared in the magazine of fantasy and science fiction, Clark's World, fantasy magazine, Idiomancer, Lady Churchill's Rosebud Wristlet, Farrago's Wainscot, Beneath Ceaseless Skies, Electric Velocipede, and Sybil's Garage. She's also appeared in the anthology's 20 epics, Japanese Dreams in Lands That Never Were, The Way of the Wizard, Year's Best Fantasy No. 6, and Science Fiction Best of 2002. Her poetry has appeared in such venues as Jabberwocky, Strange Horizons, Starline, Mythic Delirium, and Goblin Fruit. To learn more, visit Pegasus.CityOfVales.com. And that does it for this week's intro. So, without further ado, let's make the jump to light speed.
1: The Night of Chains, the Deuce of Stars by Yoon Ha Lee. The tower is a black spire upon a world whose only sun is a million starships wrecked into a mass grave. Light, the color of fossils, burns from the ships, and at certain hours, the sun casts shadows that mutter the names of vanquished cities and vanished civilizations. It is said that when the tower's sun finally darkens, the universe's clocks will stop. But the sun, however strange, is not why people make the labyrinthine journey to the tower the tower guards the world's hollow depths in which may be found the universe's games every game played among the universe's peoples was once trapped in the world's terrible underground passages and every one was mined and bargained for by some traveler it is for such a game that the exile naristes comes here now in a ship of ice and iron and Armageddon engines. This is the hand Neristas played long ago. The Ten of Theorems, the Knight of Hounds, the Nine of Chains, the bad luck symbol she uses as a calling card, and she kept two cards hidden, but lost the round anyway. Neristas carries the last two cards with her, They come from a deck made of coalescent paper, which will reveal the cards drawn when she chooses and not before. Today, the backs show the tower in abbreviated brushstrokes, like a needle of dark iron plunging into an eye. Coalescent cards are not known for their subtlety. She may have lost that match, but it's not the only game she's playing, and this time she means to win the tower has a warden or perhaps the warden has a tower the warden's name is De chong he is usually polite it was one of the first lessons he learned most people don't first notice the warden when they meet him or the rooms crowded with agate eyed figurines flowers of glass crypto chips sliced into mosaics they first notice the warden's gun. It is made of living bone and barbed wire, and smoke-silver axioms. It would have a stock of Mother of Pearl, if pearls were born from gangrenous stars. It has a long, lustrous barrel, forged into a bomb's hell heart, And along the barrel is an inscription in whatever language your heart answers to. I never miss when he is human shaped Chang is modestly tall with a narrow face and dark hair cut short his hands move too quickly to be reassuring even if he always keeps them in sight he wears gray although sometimes his definition of gray has more in common with the black static that you find on the other side of your eyelids Chong has been chained to the tower since the tower came into existence he remembers his first visitors it took him very little time to understand that he couldn't leave and so he murdered them after that for a long time he was alone when more visitors started to arrive he was very careful with them having learned that silence is wearisome company Anyone who desires to descend into the world with its unmined games must persuade him to let them pass. De Chong is not recalcitrant, precisely, but he likes to challenge his visitors to games himself. It is possible, although not easy, to defeat him. Sometimes defeat carries a small penalty, sometimes a great one, according to his mood. It is inadvisable to threaten him, and especially inadvisable to attempt to separate him from his gun. The gun admits no bullets and speaks no words of fire or fission. It gives forth no smoke, no sparks, no suppurating oil. Yet the gun always hits what De Chong intends to shoot. Killing is one of the few pleasures available to him, and he indulges either as part of a wager or in self-defense doesn't matter whether the target is in front of him or behind him or in another galaxy behind the ash shroud of stars that failed to be born sometimes when he fires a quantum sentius shudders apart into spin states pinned to forever zeros sometimes a city inverts itself plunging its arches and cobweb skyroads into the earth leaving its citizens to suffocate the story goes that the son of starships was Dai Chong's response to some reckless admiral bent on conquering the tower, although Dai Chong refuses to say anything definite on the matter. It has been a long time since Dai Chong feared anyone. When he learns that Niristez of the Nine Chains has asked for an audience, fear is not what he feels. But after all this time, he is still capable of curiosity. will not turn her away there is an old story you already know and a variant on that you have already guessed take a chessboard eight squares by eight squares 64 in total play begins with the first square being paid for with a single death on the second day fill in the next square with two deaths on the third day Four, On the fourth day, eight. The sequence continues in this manner. The question is when both parties will find the toll of death such that they can no longer stomach the price of play. We use chess, with its pieces intimating knights and kings and castles, sword-crash wars of old, for convenience, although it could be anything else. And? We restrict ourselves to powers of two for convenience as well, although the mathematics of escalation knows no such boundary. Daechong waits for nearestes in one of the highest rooms of the tower. He doesn't know what she looks like, and he declines to watch her enter by the door that will admit her, but which will not allow him to leave. Besides, he can hear her footsteps wherever she is in the tower or on the world she has a militant reputation he can tell that by the percussion of her boots this room contains musical instruments he doesn't know how to play any of them but he can tune and maintain them his current favorite is a flute made of pipe scavenge from some extinguished city's scrap heap there's a great curving harp a lithophone two bells on occasion one of his visitors breaks an instrument, and then he burns up the fragments. That's all. The footsteps slow. She's reached the room. The lights in the tower will have told her where to go. On occasion, some visitors strays. And then he has to fetch them out of the confusion of hallways and shadows. It is sometimes tempting to let them wander, but by now the habits of courtesy are strong. Nearestez knocks once, twice, waits. The door is unlocked, Daechong says. He regards her thoughtfully as she enters the room. She is taller than he is, and her hair is like a banner. In the intolerable eons of her exile, she has gone by many names, and Nearestez is the one she prefers. It means, I promise. The name is a lie although most people know better than to mention it to her face. Once, she had a reputation for always keeping her promises. Once, she swore to win an unwinnable war. Then, she fled her people, and the war has not, to this day, been won. Her most notable feature, aside from her reputation, is not her height, or the gloves made from skinned fractals, or even the sort of treatises knotted at her side. It is her eyes, whose color cannot be discerned in any light but corpse light. In her eyes, you can see a map forever drawing and redrawing itself. A map that knows where your flaws may be found. A map that knows how your desires may be drowned. Long ago, she was a strategist for the high fleet of the Knife Bird, And while no one now refers to her by her old rank, people remember what her eyes mean De Chong isn't concerned by them terrible though they are she will have already charted his greatest weakness and she doesn't need her unique form of vision to do so nearestes isn't looking at his gun which is easily within his reach that isn't saying much no matter where it lies the gun is always within his reach but its presence is like a splinter of black dreaming, inescapable, nearest as is, however, bearing a bottle of amber-green glass with a cork, whose eye stares unblinking at Dae-chong. I thought, she says dryly, it would be ungracious if I didn't bring a gift, considering that I am here to bargain for a favor. It is very considerate of you, Dae-chong says. Shall I open it here? nearest his shrugs it's yours now so you may as well suit yourself he keeps glasses in a red stained cabinet she's not the first person to bring him liquor he picks out two spiraling flutes with gold wire patterns reminiscent of inside out automata and melting gears it's tempting to shoot the bottle open but that would be showing off so he picks the cork out with his fingers. He's killed people by digging out their eyes. This isn't so different. The liquor effervesces and leaves querulous sparks in the air, spelling out hectic inequalities and in the occasional exclamatory couplet. De Chong looks at it longingly. Would you be offended if I burn it up? he says. Anything for a taste of the world outside I can't actually drink I can't claim to be difficult to offend nearest says but as I said it's yours now she takes a sip herself the inequalities flare up and die down into first-order contradictions as they pass her lips De chong taps the rim of the glass for a moment nothing happens then the entire glassful goes up in smoke the color of lamentations sweet and thick and he inhales deeply you must find my tastes predictable he says nearest smiles and shadows deepen in her eyes let's say it's something we have in common you mentioned that you wish to bargain he says might I ask what you're looking for? Ordinarily, he would not be so direct, but Nearestes has a reputation for impatience. I want what everyone wants who comes here, Nearestes says. I want a game, but it's not just a game. and never is. You know my reputation, I trust. It would be hard to escape it, even living where I do, De Chong says. On this world is the stratagem that will enable me to keep my promise. Nearestya's eyes are very dark now, and her smile darker still. I wish to buy the game that contains it from you. I've spent a great deal of time determining that this game must exist. It will win me the war of wars. It will let me redeem my name. Chong taps the glass again. This time it chimes softly, like a bell of bullets. Some of the musical instruments reverberate in response. I'm afraid that you are already losing my interest, he says. Games that admit an obvious dominant strategy tend not to be very interesting from the player's point of view. It's difficult to be a warden of games and not feel responsible For the quality of the ones that he permits to escape into the outside world i could let you root around for it but i assume you're after a certain amount of guidance although he is not infallible de chong has an instinct for the passages he knows where the richest strata are where the games sought are likeliest to be found when people bargain with him it's not simply access that they seek Anyone can wander through the twisty passages, growing intoxicated by the combinatoric vapors. It's another matter to have a decent chance of finding what they want. That's correct, Nerista says. I have spent long enough gnawing at the universe's laws and spitting out dead ends. I don't intend to waste any more time now that I know what I'm after. She leans forward. I am sure that you will hear me out. Because what I offer you is your freedom. Chong tilts his head. It's not the first time someone has made that claim, so forgive me for being skeptical. He cannot remember ever setting foot outside the tower. It is a number of windows almost beyond reckoning, which open and close at his desire, and which reveal visions terrible and troubling poetry of malice written into the accretion discs of black holes moons covered with sculptures of violet green fungus grown in the hollowed out bodies of prisoners of war planets with their seas boiled dry and the fossils bleached upon alkaline shores these and other things he can see just by turning his head and wishing it so yet he thinks sometimes of what it would be like to walk up stairs that lead to a plaza ringed by pillars of rough-hewn stone, or perhaps gnarled trees, and not the tower's highest floor with its indiscriminate collection of paintings, tapestries, and curious statuettes that croak untrue prophecies. More gifts, he wouldn't dream of getting rid of them. What it would be like to travel to a gas giant with its dust-weave rings or to a fortress of neutronium whispers, or to a spot far between stars that is empty except for the froth of quantum bubbling and the microwave hiss. What it would be like to walk outside and look up at the sky, any sky. There isn't a sky in the universe whose winds would scour him, whose rains would poison him, whose stars would pierce his eyes. But his immunity does him no good here. Call my bluff, then, she says, her smile growing knife-sweet. You like a challenge, don't you? You won't see me here again if you turn me down. If nothing else, it's a moment's diversion. Let's play a game, you and I. If I win, you will tell me where to find my stratagem. If I lose, I will tell you how you can unshackle yourself from this tower, and you can set me whatever penalty you see fit. I don't remember the very beginning of my existence, Chong says softly, but I was made of pittances of mercy and atrocities sweeter than honey. I was made of carrion calculations and unpolished negations. They say your shadow is shaped like massacres, nearest You haven't killed a fraction of the people that I have, are you sure you want to offer this? I am not accustomed to losing, especially when the stakes matter to me. He doesn't speak of the penalties he extracts when people lie to him. For all the dreadful things he's done, he has always respected honesty. I am sure, she says. The high fleet of the knife Bird is still fighting the war you promised to win. It would not be difficult for me to shoot the key players into cinders. The lines of her face become sharper, keener. I know, she says. But I made my promise. This is the only way to keep it. I will attempt the gamble. I always keep my promises. Nearestez has been saying this for a long time, and people have been tactful when she does so for a long time. De Chong, too, is tactful. He does him no harm. If you are certain, he says, then let us play. At this point, it is worth describing the war that the High Fleet of the Knife Bird has been fighting for so long against an opponent that is everywhere distributed, and which has no name but the name that particles mutter as they decay. The High Fleet has not yet raised the redshift banner that indicates defeat but the fact that they have been fighting all this time without much in the way of lasting gains is hardly a point of pride high fleet doctrine says that they are finite warriors fighting an infinite war and the stakes are nothing less than control of the universe's laws each small war in the continuum is itself a game piece in the war of wars placed or extinguished according to local conditions the value of each piece is contextual both in time and in space a duel between two spindle ships at the edge of an obscure asteroid belt may at times weigh more heavily than a genocidal war between a dozen star empires in the game of go it is possible for players to play such that alternating captures of single stones would cause repeating positions. In principle, these moves could be played forever, and the game would never end. However, the rule, called ko, prevents such repetition from happening immediately. There exists a type of ko situation, the 10,000-year ko, which is often left unresolved, sometimes until the game's conclusion because the player who enters the battle first does so at a disadvantage the war of wars is widely held to have run afoul of something similar you may speculate as to the application to the ex strategist nearest his situation although most people believe that she is not capable of such subtlety indeed it's not clear why she would be interested in prolonging the war of wars unless she intended it as a revenge for her loss of status. Even if she meant only to force the universe into an asymptotic cooldown rather than a condensed annihilation, this would hardly be an unambiguous victory for her or her former allies. But then, if she was skilled enough to carry out this gambit anyway, surely she wouldn't have fallen in the first place. Chong allows Nearestez the choice of game, since she is the petitioner. The choice itself might tell him something about her, although he doubts it will be anything he couldn't already have figured out. He is surprised, then thoughtful, when she requests a linguistic game played upon competing lattices. Its name means something like, the calculus of verses. He would not have suspected her of a fondness for poetry, even the poetry of eradication. It is likely that the game has real-world manifestations, not that he has any way of checking. The game is a deployment phase in which they breed pensive semines and seed-rival phonologies, braid the syntactical structures that they will be pitting against each other. Do you have the opportunity to read much? Nearestus asks him no doubt thinking of varieties of literature to wield against him. On occasion, people bring me books, he says. Sometimes they are tattooed on wafers of silicon. Sometimes they come bound in metal beaten thin from the corpses of deprecated clocks. Occasionally, they have pages of irradiated paper. He's especially fond of the neutron variety. I don't often read them, however. He reads fastest by, surprise, burning up the books. And while he did that a few times by accident in the early days, he saves that now for special occasions. Well, Nearestus says, the universe is infested with words of all kinds. I can't blame you for being choosy. She does something exceedingly clever, with the placement of a cultural singularity to urge her budding language to better readiness for the engagement. Chong's deployments are conservative. In his experience, people who focus too much on the setup phase of the game tangle themselves up during the match proper. I am fluent in very many languages, he says, which is an understatement. He has always assumed that the knack is a requirement, or perhaps a gift of his position. But I enjoy talking to people more. Yes, she says. I imagine you would. They are quiet through the rest of the deployment phase, although De Chung pours nearest another glass of the wine she brought him, since she appears to be thirsty. She sips at it, little by little, without any sign of enjoyment. He considers having another glass himself, but the smoke is still pleasantly strong in the air. No need yet. When the game begins in earnest, the lattices light up in the colors of drifting constellations and burning sodium and firefly sonatas. Nearest's first move gives her entire language an imperialistic focus. His response is to nurture a slang of resistance. I am not familiar with the High Fleet's customs, Dae Chong says while she considers a typological imperative. Will it be difficult to secure your reinstatement? This is not, strictly speaking, a courteous thing to bring up, but they are playing now. She will expect him to try to unsettle her. Her laugh is so brief, he wonders if he imagined it. That's an open question. Tell me, Warden, if you get free of this place, where will you go? A predictable repost. I don't know, he says. Although people have asked him before, his answer always changes. The universe is a very large place. I expect that wherever I start, I can find something new to see. At the moment, I wouldn't mind visiting a binary star system something simple and ordinary that's not it at all he likes the thought of stars that have companions even though he knows better than to think that such things matter to stars nearestes seeds the plebeian chants with prestige terms from her own language denaturing his slang what if you find that you were happier here there's always that risk, yes? The possibility doesn't bother you. She's asking questions she knows the answers to, which is also part of the game. Of course it bothers me, Dae Chung says. But if I never leave, I will never find out. He initiates a mimetic protest. Unstable although it has the advantage of propagating swiftly. I have seen a great deal of the world outside, Nearestez remarks. For a moment, he can almost see what color her eyes are. There are people who wall themselves away deliberately, you know, ascetics and philosophers and solitude artists. Some of them would give a great deal to take your place. As far as anyone knows, Chong says, I have been here since the first stars winked open. My time here has hardly been infinite, but it's still a long time, as finite numbers go. I have no reason to believe any successor of mine would spend less time here. She studies his moves' ramifications with a slight frown, then glances around as though seeing the instruments for the first time. Nevertheless, it doesn't escape his attention that she singles out the flute for scrutiny. Your imprisonment has given you unprecedented access to the games of the universe, she says. Or do you take no pleasure in the things you guard? He considers his answer while she puts together a propaganda campaign. Blunt, but perhaps as to be expected of someone with a military background, Still, he can't let down his guard. She may be covering for a more devious ploy. I can't claim that the position hasn't been without its privileges, he says mildly. Chong has played games on involute boards, games of sacrifice and skullduggery and smiling assurances, games where you keep score with burning worlds. He has played games with rules that mutate turn by turn. And games where you bet with the currency of senescent ambition. And games that handicap the stronger player with cognitive manacles. Most of the time, he wins. And he never throws a match, even when he's tempted to, just to see what would happen. After a few moments, he counters the propaganda campaign with a furtive renaissance of the musical forms that he put in place during deployment. It's early to do this. But he'd rather respond now than give Nerista's tactic a chance to play out fully. People are sometimes startled by his comfort with music, for all that he plays, no instrument. Music has its own associations with games and sports. Battle hymns, marches, aggressive rhythms beaten upon the space-time membrane. They test each other with more such exchanges. Nearest's fingers tap. The side of the table before she manages to still them they chong doesn't take that lapse at face value either in the old days it was held that my vision meant i could not be defeated she says abruptly although that has never been the case seeing a no-win situation opening its jaws in your direction isn't necessarily helpful have there been many of those in your career you only need one she says, not without humor. And even then, I've orchestrated my share of dreadful battles, gravitational tides and neutron cannons, and the slaughters you get when you use a thermodynamic vice on someone's sputtering sun. Doom ships that intone stagnancy curses into the ecosystems of entire planets civilization's worth of skeletons knit together with ligatures of damnation and made to fight unsheathed in the crackling, cold void. Dead people everywhere, no matter how you count the cost. She's either trying to warn him or distract him. They might be the same thing. You wouldn't have been at personal risk, he asks. Although he's spoken with soldiers of all sorts, the staggering variety of military conventions means that he is cautious about making assumptions. In any case, he's met very few knife bird officers. Not as such, she says, although there's always the risk of an assassination attempt. A few have tried. She doesn't bother telling him what happened to them. In this matter, anyway, they are similar. Nearest's attacks are starting to give way before De Chong's tradition of stories handed down mouth-to-mouth, myths to sucker insurrection. A myth doesn't have to roar like dragons or fight like tigers. A myth can murmur possibilities with fox words. A myth can be subtle. He doesn't point this out, but he doesn't have to. The rueful cast of her mouth tells him she is thinking it nearestes redoubles her efforts but her early game deployment has locked her into rigid not to say tyrannical stratagems unless she comes up with something extraordinary they are nearing the point where the game is effectively over even if a few of the lattices regions can still be contested at last nearestes picks up a hollowed out demagogue node and tips it over surrender there's no sense in dragging this out any further," she says. De Chong is starting to become alarmed. Nearestus should be afraid, or resigned, or angry—anything but this calculating alertness. It does occur to him that by choosing her strategy so early, she dictated his. But that was only part of the game, and in the meantime, they have their agreement. He doesn't reach for the gun. Not yet. It doesn't matter anyway, Nearestez says. The side of her mouth tips up, and there are fissures like needles in her irises. We both win. He doesn't understand. I never needed to go into the passages, she says, and her voice is very steady. I'm looking at what I seek already because the game the tower plays is you warden a myth can be subtle and some regard day chong as one himself but he isn't the only myth in the room explain yourself day chong says quiet and cutting everyone has been mining the planet for its games nearistos says But no one has been looking at what's been right in front of them all this time. In a way, you are a game, are you not? You are a challenge to be met. You have rules, give rewards, incur penalties. I don't know who mined you out of the dark depths. It was probably long ago. You must have been one of the first games after the universe's very machinery of equations. And when they realized just what they had let loose into the world, when they realized your name, they locked you up in the tower. Of course, it was too late. Neustez doesn't tell them what his name has to be. He is figuring that out for himself. The gun's presence presses against his awareness like an adder of carnage. You promised me my freedom. Chong says, after a long, brittle silence. Or is that a trick, too? Only if you think of it as one, she says. You could have left at any time, if you'd only known, Warden. You're only trapped here, so long as you are a prisoner of your own nature. As the Warden, you alone can determine this. If you choose to be a game no longer, you can walk out at any time. Now, she looks at the gun. At the dull bone. At the spiky wires. At the inscription. I never miss. Destroy the gun, she says. And walk free. It's up to you. If you had won, Chong says... You would have demanded that I come with you. He rises. She tilts her head back to meet his gaze, unflinching. Of all things, her eyes are not kind precisely, but sympathetic. Yes, she said. But this way, you have a choice. You're implying that when I leave, all the wars end that the game of wars ceases to exist yes she says all wars over everywhere all at once I can only assume that at this point in time such a suspension of hostilities would leave the high fleet of the knife bird in a winning position Daichong says her eyes darken in color warden She says, if I have learned one thing in my years of exile, it is that there are victors in war, but no one wins. I could wait for a position unfavorable to your cause, he says. Thwart you. They're playing for higher stakes now. You could try, she says, but I know what passes outside this tower, and you don't. The map in her eyes is fractal deep and encompasses the universe's many conflagrations. You played well, Chong says. He isn't merely being polite, and he doesn't say this to many people. I should have been better prepared. The difference between us is this, she says. You are a tactician, and you fought the battle. But I am a strategist, and I fought the war. I keep my promises. I don't myself with ethics, Dae-chong says. But I am surprised that you would think of something as far-reaching and devastating as war to be nothing more than a game. It's all in how you define the set, she murmurs. The gun is in his hand. He points it at the wall, not at Nearestes, and not at himself. This is habit. In reality, this doesn't make Nearestes any safer. It is beautiful in the way of annihilated stars, beautiful in the way of violated postulates, and she is telling him that he would have to extinguish it forever. It comes down to this, Nearestes says. The smile has gone from her mouth but it kindles in her eyes. Is thwarting my promise in the War of Wars more important to you than the freedom you have desired for so long? In the game of Go, groups of stones are said to be alive or dead, depending on whether or not the opponent can kill them. But sometimes, the opponents have two groups that live together. Neither can attack the other without killing itself. This situation is called seki, or mutual life. The tower is a black spire upon a world whose only sun is a million starships wrecked into a mass grave. There is no light in the starships, and as time goes by, fewer and fewer people remember when the sun of starships gave forth any radiance at all. The shadows still mutter the names of vanquished cities and vanished civilizations, but of course, the world is nothing but shadow now, and a few inhabitants remaining find it impossible to hear anything else. Now and again, people make the labyrinthine journey to the tower, which plunges into the world's hollow depths. But the tower no longer has any doors or any windows, or a warden to greet visitors, and the games that might have been dug out of the dark passages are trapped there. Two cards of coalescent paper can, however, be found before the tower. Even the wind dares not move them from where they rest. One of them displays the Knight of Chains reversed. Shattered fetters, unsmiling eyes, an ornate border that speaks to a preference for courtesy. The other card is the Deuce of Stars. It is the only source of light on the planet. Even with the two cards revealed, Nearestez would have lost the round. But that wasn't the game she was playing anyway. In the meantime, she likes to think of the former warden looking up at a chilly sky filled with enough stars to sate the longest nights alone, his hands forever empty.
0: Welcome back. I hope you enjoyed the tale. If so, and if you find the time, please go to our website at lightspeedmagazine.com and leave a comment. Just click on Fiction, find this story, and then leave a comment there. Or if you'd like to help spread the word, go to iTunes, find the Lightspeed Magazine Story Podcast, and leave a review or rating there. And if you haven't already subscribed to Lightspeed Magazine, please take a moment to consider it and check out our many options at lightspeedmagazine.com slash subscribe. The stories are produced by Skyboat Road Company Inc., which is spearheaded by the Audi and Grammy award-winning narrator Stefan Ritnicki and in association with Jim Freund. We also hope you'll check out Lightspeed Year One, a collection of audio stories from this podcast's first Hugo-nominated year. Look for it at audible.com. And that's all for now. Thanks for listening. Cheers from all of us at Lightspeed Magazine.